0: Welcome to this podcast from Field Partner International. We are an online community and resource for Christian missionaries working across cultures. You can visit our website, fieldpartner.org, which features free video courses, blogs, podcasts, sermons, and more. Subscribe to this channel, our YouTube channel, or Facebook page to stay updated on our latest resources. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Field Partner. Um, we're really glad that you could join us again for another of these interviews each one unique as the storyteller themselves is unique. And we're so glad that um, we can share these stories uh, month by month. So today I have the pleasure of introducing Joanne Pittman. And I'm very grateful that she has um, given us the time to share. Um, So I'm just going to uh, share briefly what her her bio says. She works for a um, a group called uh, China Source which is a resource ministry dedicated to providing the global Christian community with objective information about the church in China. She's vice president for partnerships and China engagement and the editor of ZG Briefs. Prior to joining China Source, Joanne spent 28 years working in China as an English teacher, language student, program director, and cross-cultural trainer for organizations and businesses engaged in China. She also taught Chinese at the University of Northwestern St. Paul in Minnesota, Chinese culture and communication at Wheaton College, Illinois, and Taylor University, Indiana. She's the author of The Bells Are Not Silent, Stories of Church Bells in China. And her personal blog, Outside In, can be found at JoannePitman.com, where she writes on China, Minnesota, traveling, and issues relating to living well where you don't belong. I love that. You can find her on Twitter and on Facebook, and currently she makes her home at St. Paul, Minnesota. So, Joanne, welcome. Thanks so Thank much. You Thank you very much. It's
1: nice to be here.
0: Okay, so as always in these interviews, um, we would wonder if you could start at the beginning and tell us where you're from and what you how you came to faith and all things like that. Okay. Well,
1: I'm a I'm a TCK. So the question, "Where are you from?" as you know, is often a sort of like Ugh, I don't know how to answer that. But uh, I was born and raised in Pakistan, where my parents were missionaries. My father was a seminary professor and a pastoral trainer. So I was born and raised in Pakistan, and my family moved to Minnesota in uh, when I was fourteen. So in the early nineteen seventies, and uh, where my father was a professor here as well, and um, uh, so. I am now it's easy to question for me. I'm from Minnesota, uh, in, in the U S and, uh, but as I said, I, I'm born and raised overseas. Um, I became a Christian at a young age and, uh, you know, through the influence of my parents and my church in Karachi, uh, in Karachi, Pakistan, and uh, just very grateful to have been uh, raised in a, in a family where, um, faith was important, where, scripture was important, where the gospel was important, and then the heritage of, of parents who themselves were
0: missionaries. Mm, that's wonderful. I share that heritage too. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Um, so obviously then the next question is if your roots are in Pakistan, how come you landed up working in China? And um, what, what led to that, that part of your journey?
1: Well, I think that maybe the easy answer is God has a sense of humor. <laughs> And um, you know China is an interesting place. China was always sort of on the periphery of my, of my growing up years in Pakistan because in the 1960s, uh, Pakistan and China were friends. Mm-hmm. And that was during the Cold War when very few peop- very few countries had relationships with China, but Pakistan did. Right. So there was always sort of you know stuff going back and forth between Pakistan and China. Um, every morning when my uh, when my mom would drive my sister and I to school in Karachi, we would pass the Chinese consulate, and um, you know there was a big picture of Chairman Mao hanging on the side of the building, and so you know it was always there. And you know we used to talk about maybe going and visiting because you could you could you could do that, but it never happened. Um, then I went moved back to the states, went to college, and um, in 1979 I had the opportunity to go to. Hong Kong for a uh, summer missions uh, trip and kind of an internship. And I had never been to East Asia, having grown up, I'd grown up in South Asia, but, but I didn't know anything about East Asia. So I went and, you know, I, and it was to to work with the church and, you know, do English classes and stuff for, for youth at the church. So I went to Hong Kong for that summer. and And then in addition to working with the youth at the church, um, I was asked to help out at a place at a center called the Chinese church research center run by, run by Jonathan Zhao. Right. And in 1979, he had just come back from a survey trip into the main, into mainland China. And he was one of the first outsiders to be able to go into China and just sort of see what, what was the state of the church? Because this was right after the Cultural Revolution. Well, the Cultural Revolution was just winding down. And um, uh, well, in 76, it ended. But to, co- to go back in and say, you know, what, what's the state of the church? And um, he, had, he had dictated all of his notes as he traveled around uh, China and uh, so they needed a native English speaker in the office uh, to come in and transcribe all of his dictations.
0: Wow!
1: Dependency. And so I did that and I had no idea what I was listening nah. to. I didn't know anything about Chinese history, but mm. I just remember, I just remember God beginning to say, you know, pay attention here. Mm. And then, um, and, but I, I had no idea the significance of what I was doing. And then that summer, China opened for Western tourists to go in. And so I went with some other um, American uh, college students that were in in the city. And we went on a three-day tour into Guangzhou. You know, back then it was like, you know, going into, you know, Red China is what what we called it back then. And I, and again, I just remember um, being fascinated. And, um, and I remember thinking, wow, if, If uh, if China continues to open up, maybe there would be an opportunity to you know come here and work and do something here. And um, just kind of tucked it and tucked it away and went back to college, earned a degree, and then in 1983, I heard about an organization that was actually going to send English teachers to China, a Christian organization. So I signed up, and and I went to China in '84 for what I thought was going to be one year of teaching English. And I moved back I to the United States in 2012. <laughs> so, um, you know, God just put China on my heart and uh, enabled me to stay for many years. And it, it was a privilege.
0: So as part of that was teaching. How many years was it actually teaching?
1: Well, actually, I only taught for a couple of years. And so I taught for a couple of years and I came home to the U.S. for a few years and got a master's degree And then I went back in 1990 with a nice, tidy plan to teach English, to study Chinese for a couple of years, and then just go, you know, teach on a on a university campus somewhere. And uh, and the organization that I was with had a language program at a a school in northeast in northeast China, and uh, I ended up becoming the director of that program. So I went from English teaching to a student studying Chinese. To directing a language program for Americans who were studying mm-hmm. Chinese. And I did that th- through the 90s. So, the 90s, I lived up in Chongchun. And then in 98, I moved to Beijing, where I joined the leadership team of my organization. And that's when it was, and then in 1995, I started doing all of the cross cultural training mm-hmm. for the teachers that we were bringing in every year, three to 400. And uh, so I was teaching Chinese language, culture, history,
0: cross cultural adjustment, things like that. Wow. So, I mean, that brings up another question then as to um, did you receive that kind of training yourself before you went, or was this all stuff that you learned along the way that you? Um,
1: I would say the answer to that question is yes. Uh, before before I went, the organization that I went with, they had an orientation program. So, you know, they sent us books to read. There were not a lot of books about China, though, back in the 1980s, to be honest with you. There were just a few. And then, um, you know, they brought in people who who did know about um, about China and cross-cultural stuff. So it was it was minimal. Mm-hmm. Um but I did have some skills because I'd, I'd grown up overseas, but I really got into the field of, of lang- culture and, and language uh, training, obviously language training when I was director of the language program. But in 1994, I think it was, for, I, like, 1994, 1995, I had the opportunity to do an internship at LinkCare in California, which is a, Uh, an organization that does member care and counseling services for missionaries and pastors. Mm -hmm. And at that time they were working with Don Larson and Don Larson was um, he was kind of a language acquisition guru in the 1960s and seventies. He pioneered the barefoot language learning method and link care was running a pre-field orientation program for missionaries going overseas about a, I think it was a four or five week program. And I was able to go out there uh, and work with uh, Brent Lindquist, who is the president of Link Care and Don Larson, who is the, who was the language learning and culture learning person. And I I did an internship with them. So that's where I got my, it wasn't Mm -hmm. formal training. I didn't come out with a certificate, but it was um, it was pretty intensive and then got into doing it with um, with the organization that I work for, I became the, the sort of cross-cultural intercultural
0: trainer for them. Well, I remember Amy um, singing your praises. I imagine how, how much how were the other was there other feedback that you were given from people who went through the program as to how much it helped them? Uh, yeah, people did respond
1: positively. And I think, um, I think what I tried to do in my training is just to impress on people the importance of taking culture and language learning seriously. Right. And um, I kind of became known within the organization, you know, as the culture lady, you know, if you have a question of China or Chinese culture, go talk to her. And, uh, and it's very, it's, it's very satisfying. I still stay in touch with a lot of the people that came into China in the nineties and two thousands, you know, they came for a couple of years, many of them stayed and, and taught and worked in China for many, many years. Many of them became You know, fluent. Um, There's there's a few students of mine. I I had one one person who came in as an English teacher. He was going to just teach in China for a couple of years. You know, I taught him to say ni hao in Chinese the first day in China, and he went on and got a a master's. He got a master's degree in Chinese philosophy from a Chinese university. Oh, and a PhD in Chinese philosophy, and I every time I see him or hear him talk, I'm like, he's my student. So, <laughs> um, you know, so in some ways, I I, um, I, I feel very blessed that that mm-hmm. you know I have been able to um, influence people mm-hmm. about the importance of taking language and culture learning seriously.
0: Right. Okay. So my next question was about that because um, I was saying that I, I had gone on to the so Amy Young and Global Trellis are another another of our partners. And um, I was browsing through their site and I came across this course on language learning by Joanne Pittman. And so I was wanting her to speak on the importance of that, because you can't really access the culture as well, or even really at all, unless you have the language as well, would you say?
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't think you can access the culture without learning the language. I think, I think a person can live and work in another culture, maybe teach English or do a job. And you know um, have interesting opportunities for ministry with english speech english speakers but if you really want to to be long term if you really want to be um, accepted into the society as a member of the, um, the 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 term that's often used is this be a part of the speech community mm. um, you have to you have to know the language um, or otherwise you, you just live outside. I, I'm very much influenced by um, Greg Thompson's concept of, of, of joining the speech community.
0: Right. And
1: that's what language learning is. It's not just, language isn't just a tool that you get so you can do something. No, it, it's, it's joining a speech community. And I'm also influenced obviously by Don Larson, um, a concept that he, he um, um, taught which is this concept of being an acceptable outsider in that when you live cross-culturally you really, there's no way to become an insider. You know, in China, obviously you can't because there are Chinese people and there are foreign people and they're just two different categories and you can't, you can't cross them. Um, So you're always an outsider. So for those of you who are, you know, watching this, who've been in China, you know, you're a La Wai, you're a Wai um, so what does that mean? You know, as a as a Weigueren, should I be trying to become a a Jung-Goran, a Chinese? I can't. Mm-hmm. So he, Larson was really influential to me in in this concept of becoming an acceptable outsider. What does that mean? And you know, he is an outsider, but yeah, he's a, you know, they're good. Mm-hmm. We 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 can accept them as outsiders into our into our community. So I think that. um, learning the language is one of the most important things you can do to be that acceptable outsider that gives you
0: access then to the speech community. And really that needs to happen at the very start. Uh, we say that you, you never get a, a second opportunity at a first impression, likewise yeah. with language, if you don't really get it at the beginning, it's very hard to recapture it later. Uh, it is.
1: It is. The, the earlier you can do it, the better. And obviously, the older we get, the harder it gets. That too. Um, <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, you know, if you're if you're heading overseas, um, do the best you can to try to get the language,
0: get working on the language as quickly as possible. Right. And so that means from the sender point of view, they need to have a realistic understanding of how long adjustment is going to take if you yes. have a, a language to learn. Yes. Yeah,
1: languages are not easy. I mean, some for native English speakers, some languages can be learned more quickly than others. Obviously, uh, Spanish uh, is would 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 be like fairly quickly um, learned by a native English speaker. However, um, Chinese is one of those languages that takes a long, long time. Uh, (laughs) Russian is a Russian is a language that's particularly difficult for English speakers,
0: Arabic. Yeah, and uh, it, it can't be rushed. No. So patience is needed when yes. for the person going and for the person sending as well. So what other advice would you give to someone who's wondering about moving to another culture? Um,
1: I would say uh, you need to go into your um, cross-cultural sojourn with the attitude of, of a learner. And I think this can sometimes be difficult for people who are um missionaries or their their faith-based work um overseas because especially people who are missionaries they're going because they have something to say i have a story to tell Mm -hmm. as the song goes i have a story to tell to the nations yeah which is a great story and it's a great thing but sometimes that um can get in the way of or, or or we sometimes forget that we need to be learners as well
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that adopting a posture of learner is a way to be an acceptable outsider so that the message will be more likely received yeah so true so even if you you know you know maybe you're at a point where you say you know i think god might be calling me to china or indonesia and you don't know when and you don't know where you can still be a learner you can start reading you can Absolutely. dabble in the language you can take a history course you can do things to prepare yeah. that that very early on establish
0: yourself as a as a learner mm-hmm. or even find people from that nation in your own neighborhood that you yep. can reach out to yep. yeah, because yeah yeah because i think most Sorry. of us
1: live in most of us live in places now where we can find people from pretty much anywhere in our in our yeah. communities.
0: Yeah. That's right. So, John, at some point, you must have decided the time had come to leave China. Um, can you say what led to that decision? And uh...
1: Yes, it was in 2012, and uh, my father had passed away 11 years previous, and my mother was 86, and I felt I needed to, to return to the States to help her. I didn't want to come back to the States when it was an emergency. Hmm. Um, as she as she entered her um, you know elderly years, shall we say? Mm. Um, so I came back to sort of help help take care of her, and uh, she's ninety four now, and actually doing very well. <laughs>
0: Brilliant, that's wonderful. But what was your experience of reentry? Did you find it difficult after all those years in China to um, back in the US? In some ways it was, in
1: some ways it wasn't. One of the things is that. When I, all the years that I was in China, we worked and lived on the academic calendar. So, uh-huh. and the schools that we worked at didn't want us around. So I came back to the States every summer for a couple of months. So I was always going back. I wasn't as out of touch uh-huh. with life in America as, say, was no. the case when I was a kid in the sixties and we came back every four years, you know, then it was like, whoa, what's this? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so um I was already familiar and and I had gotten to a point where I could sort of flip a switch. So when okay, now I'm in the US, and I I have to I know the rules here, the cultural rules. And when I go back to China, I know the cultural rules there, because really cross-cultural adjustment is about figuring out the cultural rules. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of knew them. So I would just, you know, okay, China rules, America rules. Mm-hmm. Um And the other thing that I did that I that I think was helpful and I would recommend is that I had been for so many years training people on how to manage a cultural adjustment from their home culture to, um, you know, to the to the host culture. Principles, activities, mindsets, attitudes. And I thought, well, why don't I just turn all those around? (laughs) And try to approach adjusting to life here using the same principles that I did or in some cases did not, but I certainly was teaching. It's like, cause it's all the same thing.
0: Yeah, exactly. So
1: a lot. So I just tried to I just tried to turn everything that I'd been training upside down and mm-hmm. apply it
0: to to life here. Excellent. What yeah. are- Really good thing. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think it helped. <laughs> <laughs> We've yet to make our final transition back to this country, so I'm I'm taking note. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um, I gather you're also an author, author. So tell us about the book, "The Bells Are Not Silent." What um brought you to write that, and what? like well, is-
1: yeah, that's a that, that's an interesting uh, in, uh, interesting story. I'll try to give you the short version. In 2012. I had the opportunity to travel around Southwest China with um, my pastor's wife from my church here in Minneapolis. And um, my church in Minneapolis had sent a woman, a single woman to China as a missionary in 1925. And this woman named Esther Nelson had served in China from 25 to 51 when she, along with her um, colleagues, were kicked out. And during the time she was in China, she had sent letters back to the church. And so my pastor's wife, who's a bit of a historian, and she's an author herself, she said, I want to go back to this area and research the life of this woman and look for her legacy. And so she said, would you come along as my translator? I'm like, yeah, that sounds like fun. So we were traveling in southwest China. And we were at a church in, um, in Ibin in, in Sichuan province. And we were meeting with a pastor of a registered church in that city that we had, we're 99% sure had been started by Baptist missionaries in the 1800s, and that it was a church um, from which Esther Nelson ministered. So we were wanting to talk to the pastor. What did he know about the history of the church? And he wanted to know from us, what did we know? And in the course of the conversation, the pastor turned to me me and said, you know, we have a bell up in our steeple, but it has English on it and we don't, we can't read it. Mm -hmm. Would you help translate it for us? So he said, yeah. So we climbed up into this, uh, to the steeple of this church. And there was this giant bell hanging way, way up, much higher than we were. And um, so my Chinese friend who was translating, because I actually don't speak Sichuan dialect, (laughs) so I wasn't that useful as a translator. Um, He climbed up and started reading the inscription on the bell. And the inscription was, Buckeye Bell Foundry, Cincinnati, Ohio, presented to the First Baptist Church of Coffeyville, Kansas, by W.S. Upham, 1863, praise ye the Lord. Hmm. And we were flabbergasted, as you can imagine. And, you know, how did this bell from Ohio go to Kansas end up in southwest China? You know, it's you know, it's it's almost 100, 150 years old. You know what? So we were just we were stunned. And, and you know, because I I studied Chinese history and I'm thinking about the great leap forward in China when they they basically told everybody melt all your metal. Yeah and we'll make bombs and, you know, retake Taiwan. And, um, and so I was just like, how in the world did this bell survive? And what's, what's the story? So I, I asked the, the pastor said, how did this happen? And he said, well, we got a, we got a phone call from the religious affairs bureau and they said we could have our bell back. And we didn't know we had a bell. It had been taken during the cultural revolution and, um, or the Great Leap Forward sometime, it had been taken away and used in a, in a um, factory. And, and I just I, I looked at him and I said, how did this survive the Great Leap Forward? And he said, oh, he said, they tried to burn it, but it was too strong. Wow. And I thought, wow, just like the church in China, yeah. He tried to burn it, but it was too strong. So for me, at that oh, moment, cool. the bell, the church bell became a symbol for God's faithfulness to mm. the church in China. But then I also thought if there's one bell with a story like that, there's others. And then I spent the next six months traveling around China looking for church bells. And my book is a story of 10 church bells that I found. And oh, so it's really the story of. God's faithfulness to the church in China as told through the stories
0: of 10 bells. How amazing. And it's available only on Amazon. <laughs> I, shall, I shall look definitely read that, it's amazing. Yeah. Okay, so we really need to wind up, but I just wondered whether you could um, offer your opinion on the current situation that we're all facing. Um, COVID has gently changed, uh, definitely changed the landscape as far as cross-cultural missions is concerned. And in China, the political scene has altered drastically as well so what do you see as the impact of those two factors on missions generally and on working in china in, in particular
1: oh well that's a, that's a hard question cuz no <laughs> yeah it's a hard question um, i think for for the foreign foreigners you know uh, westerners who not just westerners but non chinese who want to work in china i think in the near term it's going to continue to be very difficult to get in Essentially, the borders of China right now are closed to foreigners. Mm-hmm. They're not issuing tourist visas, so there is no international tourism. So you can't go in as a tourist. Um, work, permit, work permits, work visas are being given out very, very sparingly because China has adopted a COVID zero policy. They they're, don't want any COVID and foreigners bring in COVID. So... So the borders are essentially closed. So I think in the near term, I don't talk to anybody who thinks that the borders will reopen bef- before the fall of next year. Wow. That, that would be the earliest. I hope I am wrong. I would love for somebody to come back and say, you were wrong on that.
0: Yeah.
1: I really hope I'm wrong. But that's that's mm-hmm. kind of the the the, um, conventional wisdom out there right now. So I think for foreigners, it's going to continue to be difficult to get into China. There are things that can be done from outside of China, despite what we hear. Chinese Christians can still access training uh, and other kinds of materials online outside of China. Uh, Technology has changed the way they're doing things Chinese Christians are connecting with Christians abroad via Zoom. They're doing church online in China on Zoom and different platforms. Um, yeah, you know, the, and what happens is, oh, the government might shut something down over here and then everybody just moves over here. So, you know, they've, they've gone through some of the struggles that, that we in the West have is how do you do, how do, you do church when you can't meet? Um, I think they had a longer time when they couldn't meet. Um, but I think the I think the main thing that I would say is that in the outside of China, we hear we hear mostly about the restrictions, which are real. We hear about the crackdowns, which are real. We hear about the increased persecution, which are real. We hear about all the things that Chinese Christians can't do. Mm-hmm. But in China, Christians are actually going about doing things. Mm -hmm. They are trying to figure out how to do things in a much more difficult environment, but they're doing it. And um, so they are, you know, they're holding, you know, they're encouraging one another online. They're still getting together where they can. Um, Still sending people out of the country. I mean, it's just, as as my Chinese friend said, "Yeah, yeah, everything's harder, but we're still doing things it's just yeah. harder. So I think we need to, um, I think those of us outside China, we need obviously need to continue to pray and then, um, you know, ask the Lord for us to, to be willing to say, okay, in this new environment where we cannot be there, what might you have for us in a, in a, in a role that's more serving the church. Mm. And so we need to keep, we need to, to keep informed on what, what they're doing, what their needs are, um, the the victories they're having and um, it's just you know God's not done with China no certainly not <laughs> and, uh, yeah He's still working in amazing ways
0: okay so Joanne um, last question you have kindly agreed to partner with us and we were just yes. talking a little bit about what that might look like so could you share with you with us what you what you think uh, we can do to help you and also um, ha- you know what other ways we can network together.
1: Okay, yeah, we've we've uh, been talking for quite a while on this, and I'm really excited about the opportunity to partner with Field Partner um, from from China Source. And uh, and so I think what we can do is, uh, you know, we would love to hear your stories. We would love to hear your perspectives. And uh, we have a website where we publish five times a week new content about Christianity in China, about the issues that facing the church in China, about issues related to cross-cultural adjustment, both westerners going overseas or maybe chinese themselves going out uh, we would love to hear your perspective so obviously we we invite you to uh we invite you to contribute uh for Mm -hmm. us and then we can uh we can help uh we can help we can help be a platform for you to share with uh with the broader uh, ministry community uh the resources that you have that's really what we like to do is to say hey these people over here, they're doing great stuff. Pay attention to them. We, we get really excited about um, doing that kind of thing in China Source. Um, I would be happy to highlight especially some of your uh, content and resources in our weekly China newsletter called ZG Briefs um, and uh, where we curate uh news stories from China out in the course of a week, as well as resources. So uh, we'll be happy to do that. Um, obviously, if, you have, if you're looking for connections, uh, we love to network at China Source. We love to hear about somebody somebody doing one thing and they're doing the same thing. Do you know each other? Okay, great. You need to, you two need to talk. I think in our conversation, I have a list of about three or four people I want to introduce you to already. So,
0: yeah, um, <laughs> so and yeah. then for our part, we want to showcase what you have done in terms of resources um, and, and so on. So look out for that page on the field partner website where um, we're showcasing China source and everything that, um, that they want, to sh- want us to share with you. Okay. It's going to be great. So well, thanks, Joanne, so much. There's a lot of food for thought there, and I know many people will be blessed by hearing what you've had to say. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Okay, and so thank you to you two for joining us. That's the end of this interview, um, but do as we say, go back to the website and um, to the Facebook site as well, and do look at all the things, um, ways of connecting with Joanne, um, from including that um, that personal blog site with. <laughs> I love that about um, thriving where you don't belong or something. Was that a, yep, that's a, that? that's another uh, term I borrowed from Don Larson living well, where you don't belong. Yes. Excellent. Wonderful. Love it. Okay. Bye-bye then. And God bless. Thanks Thank you. For joining us. Thank you for listening to this podcast from field partner. You can watch or listen to more interviews by subscribing to this channel, our YouTube channel, or our Facebook page. For free cross-cultural mission courses, blogs, sermons and other resources, visit our website fieldpartner.org.